0: You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Well, how are we doing tonight? Welcome to Overflow. I'm so stoked that we are finally back, getting to do this again. Uh, I want to kind of survey who's here tonight. If if this is like, if you've been coming to Overflow, this is not your first time here, let let me hear you. I want to know who's here. Let me hear you. If you're... Good. All right, now the rookies. If you've never been before, let me hear you. All right, quite a few, quite a few. Now, do we have any class of 2020 in the house tonight? Good, good. Uh, now I'm gonna. I'm about to ask if uh, if UNT is here, but before you say or yell or anything like that, I want you to know I'm gonna ask after that if, if T Dub is here. And T Dub has a lot of energy always, uh, and so if you want to have your chance to be louder, I'm only asking this once. So here we go. Is anybody from UNT in the house? Alright, what about, what about T-Dub? <laughs> uh, that one was a little bit more high-pitched than the first one. Uh, what about NCTC? Where y'all at? Yes! Thank you. Hey, my name's Austin Wadlow, and uh, I'm the college pastor here at this church. Um, I've been here for almost uh, six years. October will be six years, and I absolutely love getting to lead this ministry. I absolutely love to be uh, here at this church. Uh, tonight is special for a lot of reasons, Uh, One obvious one is overflow's back. That's special in my heart, but what makes, thank you, uh, what makes tonight even more special is tonight, four months ago tonight, uh, I got married to this beautiful young lady over here, Leslie, now Wadlow. Uh, I think I got a picture. We actually got married right here uh, in this room on this platform. Look at us. We're so happy right there. I mean... Um, But, yeah, so four months ago, tonight, I got married. And and let me tell you, marriage has been great. And let me also tell you, my life has drastically changed in the last four months. Uh, In fact, the first four weeks of marriage, this is no joke. I gained eight pounds the first four weeks of marriage. And I don't know how much of that was honeymoon growth or... uh, if it, was, if it was just my wife is a killer cook and she feeds me way too much food, but it's awesome. I love it. Um, my life has drastically changed in so many ways. I think one of the most obvious ways, if you know me, if you ever come over uh, to where we live, our apartment, uh, <clears throat> my apartment is totally changed. Uh, it does not look the same uh, at all. It looks completely different. Um, yeah, I now have curtains in my apartment, uh, which is great. And honestly, I didn't realize the effect this was going to have on my life. Um, so I've lived in this apartment ever since I moved here, so almost six years and uh, I've, I've always kind of had trouble sleeping in that bedroom of mine, and I, I found out why a week after she moved in. It's because there's a security light outside my window, and I've never had curtains before, so at night, this light is just shining in my face. Well, the first week that we were living in the apartment together, uh, we got curtains, and now I sleep like a baby at night. So my life, I'm telling you, has drastically changed. Uh, but the apartment looks totally different. My bathrooms don't look at all like they used to look. Um, There's all this, like, girly stuff in there and, like, you know, paintings and and junk. I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed of one of my bathrooms. It looks really girly. Uh, We have two bathrooms in our apartment. Um, Neither one of them is mine. Uh, Thankfully, my wife lets me share one of them with her. Uh, Yeah. Uh, My my bed has completely changed. I used to sleep with one bottom sheet, one top sheet, and one pillow. That's all I needed. Uh, It just seemed perfect, and that's all I needed. Didn't have to make it or anything. Now, now... We got this bottom sheet, we got the top sheet, Uh, we got this quilt, Uh, then we have like this, I don't know, 6 to 12 inch thick thing, what do you even call that? I don't even know, comforter, there you go. Um, And then uh, on top of that, we have this blanket that I think is just there for looks, and then instead of just having one pillow, we got like 45 pillows, and uh, the weird thing about it is, I still only use one pillow, she uses like two or three And then the rest are on the floor. And no joke, they never get used except by our dog. He buries his bones underneath our pillows. Uh, So, yeah, my apartment's changed a lot. Um, Let's see, what else has changed? Oh, yeah, so we have like 15 scentsies in our apartment now. You guys are like, no clue what that is, man. Uh, That's cool. Girls, you know what a scentsy is, right? It makes your apartment smell all beautiful and stuff. So my apartment smells beautiful. The biggest change, the most drastic change to my apartment was I used to have this big centerpiece Poster up on my wall in the living room, the focal point of my living room. My favorite movie in the world is Dumb and Dumber. and So it's a picture of Lloyd and Harry on the motorcycle. He's got frozen snot coming out of his nose. And uh, one day, I'm up here at the church this summer working, and I get a picture. I should have brought it, dang it. Uh, I I get a picture of uh, the posters laying down on the floor, and she's put all this decorative stuff up up on the wall. So that has drastically changed. Um, The worst thing that has happened, though, uh, since—I'm making marriage sound terrible— it's amazing. Marriage has been great, okay? But I will say, the worst change that has happened is, a couple weeks ago, we got invited to this, uh, to this young married couple's uh, pool party after church one week. And Leslie and I are, like, super stoked to get invited to this thing, because we're thinking, I mean, there's some really cool couples in our church, and we're thinking, sweet, we're going to go hang out and meet some new couples and hang with some other couples we've known for a while. We show up to this pool party, and no joke, it's like us and these other couples, and the pool is full of all these tiny little kids in floaties. And uh, so it kind of hit us, uh, the reality of the stage of life that apparently we have dove into, and all of our peers now have babies and stuff. And uh, it's really freaking me out. Um, (laughs) But the point is, my life has drastically changed. And here's why I share this I share this because I think a lot of you in this room uh, can relate to this, especially class of 2020. Class of 2020, your life in the past week or so has drastically changed. You are no longer in high school. Uh, you are, I thought I'd get an aim into that. You are no longer uh, living at home. You no longer have mom cooking all the home cooked meals for you. Uh, you ha- now you got to eat in cur, or if you go to T tub you got to eat in the underground. And uh, all I got to say about that is have a lot of Pepto on hand. Um, you no longer have your mom doing your laundry unless you're the person who goes home every other weekend to, to, to have her do that for you. Um, so you got to learn to do your laundry. Now you have a roommate. Um, And, you know, some of you, you picked your roommate, so, like, you kind of knew somebody coming in, you're like, hey, y'all want a room together, cool, let's do that. Others of you, you went random, and you got this random roommate, and they tell you, you know, we're going to get this questionnaire from you, and find out your likes, your lifestyle, your interests, your habits, and we're going to pair you up with somebody similar. And you're looking at your roommate right now thinking, I think they just threw the papers in the air, and then, like, just (laughs) pointed to one, and that's my roommate, because we're nothing alike, right? Now, some of you, I I do want to talk to those of you who your roommate is your best friend. Uh, you, you moved here. You're like, I'm going I'm to live with my best friend. It's going to be great. Best friend from high school, best friend from whatever, life. And uh, I just want to say, if you're living with your best friend right now, I want you to look at him in the face right now and tell him you love him. And, uh, and then, there we go, right there. Uh, and, then, uh, and then I want you to just know that in a few weeks, they're going to be your arch nemesis because statistically, that never works out. Um, but roommate, roommate issues are real, right? I mean, roommate struggles can be super real. Some of you are freaking out because... You've realized you've got that super messy roommate, uncontrollably messy roommate. Some of you are freaking out because you've got that freakishly clean roommate. Uh, I'm not even going to lie. I was a messy roommate. Thankfully, my, I wasn't a slob, okay, but I was messy. Uh, thankfully, my first roommate in college was also messy. Uh, no joke, he never washed his sheets. Neither did I. That's another story, but he never washed his sheets. Here's what he did instead. He would take a, a dustbuster. Do you know what that is? little handheld vacuum cleaner, and he'd vacuum his sheets, and then I think this was right when Febreze was getting popular, so he'd spray his sheets with Febreze. Uh, No lie, so I had, I lived in this, you know, one of those suites where there's two dorm rooms and a tiny little bathroom in the middle. Anybody live in one of those right now? Yeah, a lot of you. So our shower is one of those stand-up showers, and when I say stand-up shower, I mean like literally that's the only thing you can do in that space. Uh, If you drop the shampoo or something, you actually have to step out of the shower. And partly partly out of that little room with the commode in it and reach, get it, and then lock yourself back in the stand-up shower. So our stand-up shower, it, had, it didn't start this way, but a few weeks in, it had mold everywhere. Now, here's the thing. Let me just pause for a second. Guys will understand me. Ladies, y'all like, ew, gross. Guys will understand me. What's the point of washing your shower? Because you're using soap when you're washing yourself, right? But anyways, we never washed our shower. Thank you. First clap of the year right there, man. So we never washed our shower. And so mold started to grow in our shower. Like black mold. I don't know if it's black mold. Like, you know, everybody freaks out about that. But it was black. Uh, and it's like covering our floor and like crawling up the walls. Uh, I mean, literally, we were kind of like measuring it. And it's like growing daily. So we would shower. And this is, this is, this is like totally true story. We, we would, there was two footprints on the bottom. So when we showered, it was like a life or death matter to make sure your feet stuck within the footprints so you didn't get any of the black mold stuff on you and get, like, you know, cancer or something. Um, you know, some of y'all have that roommate that you're figuring out is going to eat your food, so you're getting the Sharpie marker and you're writing on your stuff, your ramen or whatever you've got, uh, and trying to send the message nicely, stop eating my food. Well, I, had, I had a teammate in college. He lived down the hall from me, but he uh, would come into my room, and the uh, first time he came in um, to do this, he was like, hey, man, can I can I borrow some bread? And I was like, yeah, sure, you can borrow some bread. Well, he opens up the drawer where I have my bread, and I also kept my peanut butter and jelly in there. Well, so now he knew where my food was, and all the time he was coming in there and stealing my peanut butter and jelly and making sandwiches. So what I ended up doing was I I took the nice bread and the nice peanut butter and jelly and hid that and put out some decoy bread and some (laughs) decoy peanut butter and jelly that was like 10 cents at the store, and uh, so he could eat that. Um, Yes. Some of y'all got that roommate who... uh, who uh, snoozes their alarm like 10 times? Anybody got that one? Uh, and it's extremely obnoxious. What's worse, yeah, you want to punch them in the face. What's worse is the, the living next to somebody, like in another room than yours, who forgets to turn their alarm clock off before they leave town for the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you're thinking, I'm going to sleep in on Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Saturday morning, the alarm goes off, and it goes off all weekend long until they get home. That's, that's, that's the worst. So, it's been, it's been one week, and your life has drastically changed, class of 2020. But if you think your life has changed now, you are one week into being on a college campus, you are two days into having, like, college classes, uh, just wait until four months from now. Four months from now, you're going to look back and hardly even recognize the young Sheltered, innocent freshmen that you see in the mirror now. Some of you literally are not going to recognize that person because you're going to put on the freshman 15. Um, that's a real thing, people. I saw they did a seminar at UNT this week about that. Some of you won't recognize yourself. Some of you, you're going to look back in four months, you're going to look back and think, how in the world did I spend the last 12 years of my life, elementary through high school, going to school for seven straight hours a day? And four months from now, you're going to be thinking, I can't even get myself to go to the two hours of class I have on Wednesday. Let alone seven hours of class. For whole, some of you are already there. Tomorrow you're like, I don't even know if I can go tomorrow. Uh, you're, you're, think about this. Like for 12 years, you got to school at the latest at 8 a.m. for classes, right? Now you're thinking, who would ever do that to somebody? Give them an 8 a.m. class. You're like, I can't even get up for my 9 or 10 a.m. Uh, classes. In a few months or four months from now, you're going to look back and think, why did I think this lanyard that I'm wearing right now is so stinking cool uh, that I got... My key's on, my. some of y'all are like, mm. <laughs> uh, I don't know what he's talking about. Um, if you've been here for a while, you know every year i got to say something about the lanyard. So That's like four years in a row. Um, but you're going to look back and think, why did I even pack my letterman's jacket? Because that's totally not cool anymore. And you're going to think, why did I freak out so much about not missing those mandatory hall meetings that we have like all the time at the beginning of the year? In all seriousness, though, here's what I want you to hear. In all seriousness, some of you, some of you in four months won't recognize yourself. Some of you won't recognize yourself in four weeks. The decisions that you make these next few weeks, for for many of you, are going to literally change the trajectory of your life. Whether that's good or whether that's bad. Some of you, the decisions you make the next few weeks are going to solidify the path that you're already walking down. And again, whether that's good or whether that's bad. Every single person in this room, the decisions and the patterns and the habits that you adopt over the next few weeks are going to significantly impact your life, and I'm not just talking to freshmen, seniors, y'all are facing some drastic change too. Yeah, I see I see you pre-shaking your head. Yes, y'all are facing some drastic change too. In less than a year, you're hopefully going to be starting your career. Uh, in, in less than a year, you're going to have to start thinking about all of the student loans that you have to pay off now. Some of y'all are trying to get married, and some of y'all ain't got anybody to marry. And so you're on the hunt. You are hunting ring by spring. Hey, listen, if you're a freshman, you got, freshman ladies especially, have your head on a swivel because you are prey to these uh, desperate senior dudes. But here's what I want all of you to hear tonight. Here's what I want you to hear. Every single one of you in this room, every single one of you in this room, your life has the potential to drastically change tonight based on how you respond to what we're about to see in God's Word. Before we go into what we're going to study tonight, uh, there's there's a few people in here that I want to make sure you know are here. Some of you don't know I'm about to call you out. The first person I I want to introduce is the one who's, who's basically grown up in the church. You're the person who you've pretty much identified yourself as a Christian your entire life. Uh, you know all the right answers. You know a lot of the right people. And in this setting, you feel right at home here. You feel comfortable here. And the reality is, if you're not careful, you might miss the invitation that God has extended to you. That's the first person I want you to know is in here tonight. The second person I want you to know is in here is, this is the person who's broken. Big time broken. You are, you are hurting. You're ashamed of what, my, of, of what people might see and learn about you if they get too close. You want to be here, so you try your best to cover up all the gross stuff that you know to be true about yourself because you're pretty sure that if the people in here or the preacher up on the platform knew you were addicted to pornography or knew you were sleeping with your boyfriend or sleeping with your girlfriend or knew you were gay or knew that you were, knew that you were addicted to pain pills, knew that you were uh, recovering from a recent abortion, whatever the list could be, whatever's on the list, you're trying to cover it up. You're pretty sure that if people in here knew, they would ask you to leave. I want you to hang on, though, because I want you to see what's in God's Word tonight. Person number three that I want you to know is here. The last person I want to introduce you tonight. Uh, you're probably sitting in the back, unless the back door was already full before you got here. Or maybe you're sitting uh, on the edge because you want, to, uh, you want to make a quick exit on the way out because you don't feel worthy to be here. Similar to person number two, but unlike person number two, you know you can't cover it up. In fact, when you were invited to come here tonight... The thought going through your mind on the inside, you didn't say this to anybody, but the thought was when that person invited you was, man, are you sure, like, am I even allowed to come to something like that? And I want to speak directly to you three people tonight. If you will listen to what I'm about to show you from God's Word, like, when I say listen, I mean for real, listen. And then respond in the way that God's Word demands that we respond, then the drastic change that has taken place in my life over the past four months after marrying Leslie will pale in comparison to the drastic changes that will be set in motion in your life tonight. So, tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. We're going to be in Luke 14, verse 15. I'll give you a a second to turn there. So, the New Testament. Luke 14, starting verse 15. As you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on. We're We're going to start in verse 15, so let me catch you up on the first 14 verses. At the beginning of Luke 14, Jesus was invited to this um, meal on a Sabbath day, so like the Lord's day, the holy day for them. He was invited to this meal, so I mean almost picture like Sunday dinner or something like that, by these Pharisees, or these really religious people. He's invited to this meal, and while he's at this meal, there's this crippled guy uh, that's, that, that's there or shows up or something, and Jesus heals the crippled guy. And what's interesting about this is the really religious people that was at this meal that were at this meal with Jesus, they, they got really mad. They got mad because for them in their uh, in their belief system, like you you were not allowed to work on the Sabbath, therefore, in their minds, healing was work, so he had done wrong against God. So they got mad. Irony upon irony in this, okay? The Sabbath is like the Lord's day. Jesus gets up to heal a dude on God's day and He's like, all right, you're healed, and everybody gets mad because God just healed somebody on his own day. You know, it's like God can do whatever whatever the heck he wants on his own day. The irony here is they get mad about this, but they get mad, and so uh, as a result, he starts to tell some some parables. He tells two parables before we get to what we see tonight. The first parable, the gist of it is he he challenges them to be humble and not take the best seats at a dinner party. Um, The second parable the gist of it is, he tells them, look, don't just invite your friends and rich people to your dinner parties. In fact, he says, lean more to inviting people who can never repay you or invite you over to their home for a dinner party. He says, invite the poor, invite the, the crippled, the blind, the lame, uh, the homeless, people, uh, people like that. And so then we get to Luke chapter 14, verse 15, and this is what happens. It says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So, so pause for a second here. I want you to know what's going on. So one of those religious people that's at this uh, meal with Jesus, Jesus has just told these two parables. And after he tells these two parables, one of those rich religious people stands up and he says, Yeah, blessed is anybody who eats in the kingdom of God. Blessed is anybody who has bread in the kingdom of God. Now, it 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 sounds like the right thing to say, you know. He knew the right thing to say. He knew, essentially, the right answer. What's interesting is how Jesus responds. He doesn't say, My man. He doesn't say that. Instead, you see the word but, verse 16, but Jesus said to him, and then he tells this this story. Jesus said to him, a man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. I love how he doesn't ask if he can be excused. He just knows it ain't going to (laughs) happen. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And so the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. So the servant goes out and does that. The servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So I want to I explain what happens here. So that guy stands up, says what he says. Instead of Jesus being like, yeah, dude, good word, Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And so here's what the story is that Jesus tells. Basically, there's this, there's this rich guy, this master. And he decides he wants to throw this big dinner party, this great banquet, as it says. And so as was customary in their culture, if you were going to throw a big party, you would send out invitations long beforehand. Kind of like a save the date, minus the refrigerator magnet and the awkward or you know, cheesy engagement photo. Uh, send out a save the date or, or an invite to these people saying, hey, on this day, in weeks to come, I'm going to have this big party. And then when it got to the day of the party and the food and everything was ready, he would then send out one of his servants to those people who'd been invited to go get them and say, "Come on, the food's ready, let's go party." And so those people would then put on their nice clothes and go to the party, but that's not what happens in this story. You see in this story, you look, in fact, I want to read it again verse 18, but they said all alike or but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, "I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused." Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So instead of these people putting on their nice clothes and making their way to the party, they start to make uh, excuses of why they couldn't come. And they were ridiculous excuses. Like, have you ever been invited to something you didn't want to go to, so you made some ridiculous excuse? Yes? No? Yes? Yeah, yeah. So at the school I went to in Arkansas, I went to college in Arkansas. um, And... Our school had a tradition called Twerp week. Twerp is an acronym, stands for the woman is required to pay. Uh, it was a, a great tradition, especially in our culture where guys are like scared to ask out girls and stuff. Um, the woman, the girl, there's, so there was a week the school would put on like these, these nightly events or like date nights. And the girls, that one week, were supposed to invite guys to these dates and they had to pay for whatever, you know, it was. And so, you know, that whole week, guys are walking around, a girl comes up to talk to him, and they're like, oh my gosh, maybe this is the moment she's going to ask me out. <laughs> Conversation's going on, it gets to the end, she hadn't asked him out, and he's like, okay, anything else, anything else you want to say? Um, and uh, then it wouldn't happen, they walk away dejected, it was a hard week for some guys. Um, so, so, so this one particular twerp week, uh, I had been crushing big time on this one girl, side note, I told Leslie this story for the first time uh, last night, and I got to this part, and I said, "I've been crushing big time on this one girl," and she goes, "Who is she? What's her name? Where's she live? I'm gonna kill her!" And uh, I was like, "Dang girl, chill out." Uh, but anyways, I was crushing big time on this one girl, and marriage is great, y'all. Uh, I was I was crushing big time on this girl on this one girl. I wanted her to ask me to a twerk night event, and she didn't. Um, and so there's one day on camera. I don't remember. It was so long ago. I don't remember how this happened. But this one girl. Who honestly I didn't want to go with asked me to go to a twerp night event, and so when she asked me, I wasn't gonna say no because I didn't want to, you know, like her feelings or anything. And uh, let me back this up and say, I think this was like the only girl that asked me out that week, so yeah, I was like at the same time excited. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it was a rough week for me. But anyways, uh, I didn't want to go, and so I said, but I still said yes because I didn't want her feelings. So a week goes by leading up to this twerp night thing, and uh, I'm telling my it, it gets to the, be like the day of this date. And uh, so that day, uh, really, it was like that evening, like an hour before um, the date. Uh, I'm talking to my roommates, and I'm saying, Guys, I really don't want to go. What do I do? I shouldn't have taken the advice of my roommates. My, uh, my roommates were like, Well, dude, just call her up and be like, Hey, look, my stomach hurts. I got diarrhea. Uh, so I can't go. So I did that. I called her up and was like, hey, my stomach hurts. This is like 30, now it's like 30 minutes before you know the whole thing's supposed to happen. I'm like, hey, I, I can't go, my stomach hurts, I got diarrhea, and so I didn't go. I know I'm a terrible person. Just so you know, the Lord avenges his people because the next twerp date that I did get to go on, I got poison ivy. And when I say I got poison Ivy, I don't even know how I got poison ivy on this thing. Uh, but it was literally all over my body, like all over my body. And I had to go to the hospital. I dealt with it for like six weeks. That's a whole other story. Um, but payback for what I did. I know I've been redeemed by God and his grace and poison ivy. Uh, but the point is, these people in the story didn't want to go, so they, like last minute, make these ridiculous Excuses to get out of going to this banquet. So the first guy, he says, Look, I just bought this field. I mean, think about how ridiculous this is. He says, I just bought this field, so I I need to go look at it. What the heck? Uh, You know, you could interpret that as him saying, Hey, I just bought this field, now I need to go work the field. So I got work to do. You know, maybe that's what he was saying. Uh, A lot of commentators think it's just as ridiculous as it sounds. The second guy, he says, I just bought all these oxen. And he says, I want to go and essentially look at them. Again, stupid excuse. Maybe what he's saying is, I bought all these oxen, I want to go cruise around town and pick up chicks with my oxen now, you know. Um, the third guy, I love it, it's just straightforward. He's like, hey, I got married, so I just can't come. Um, throws his wife under the bus, like, totally not cool. Maybe he had gotten in trouble and she grounded him from something or grounded him from parties or, I don't know. Um, not a good marriage, apparently. But. So then you get to verse 21. After these guys make their excuses, it says, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets. In the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. So the master gets mad, but he doesn't let, him, he doesn't let that ruin his party. Um, instead, he tells the servant, go out to the city streets and grab all the crippled, poor, blind and lame people and bring them to the party. Notice the word that he uses here, though. He doesn't just say, invite them. What does he say? He says, bring. And if you think about it, like if he's going to uh, invite crippled people, blind people, whoever these people are, he probably literally had to bring some of those people to the party. Like, he probably had to pick up some of those crippled, carry them on his back, or carry them however. Literally bring a blind person by leading them to the party. He tells them to bring them to the party. Then you get to verse 22, after he's gone out and done this, and it says, The servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done. Still, there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. So, after bringing in the blind, the crippled, and the poor to the feast, as uh, as, as, as many as he could find, there were still seats open at the table. So now the master tells the servant to go out to the highways and to the hedges. So basically now this guy's going outside of the city, which back then there's like city walls. You're going out into like the frontier, man. He goes outside the city to the highways, to the hedges to get people. And outside the city, the type of people you're going to find out there on the highways was like these wanderers, these homeless uh, people people of totally different ethnicities. T- people of totally different backgrounds. Uh, people of totally different cultures. And here, notice the word he uses. He doesn't say invite them. He doesn't say bring them. What does he say? He says compel them to come. He tells the servant to compel them to come to the banquet. One commentator, when I was studying this, one commentator said, the point is that wanderers, or the people that he find on the highways and hedges, says the point is that wanderers in such places Would take a lot of convincing that they were really wanted at a banquet in the city. So these were people who would have been totally shocked if somebody came up to them and said, Hey, there's this rich guy, doesn't know who you are, but he's throwing this big old feast and you're invited, he wants you to come. They'd be like, Man, what's the catch? What the heck? And so the the servant couldn't just end with that. He had to compel them, convince them that they were actually invited to the party. Finally, you get to verse 24. Verse 24, Jesus says, for I tell you, pause there for a second, those words, for I tell you, uh, in your Bible, look, after the word you, do you have a footnote marker? Do you have that? Some of you do, maybe not all of you, but if you do, you look down at the bottom of your page, and that's telling you that that word you is actually plural in the Greek, which is what this is written in. Um, So, in Texas, the way you would translate that is, for I tell y'all. So he says, for I tell y'all, and, and, and by the fact it says, for I tell y'all, we now know that Jesus is done with the parable. He's now looking back at the people at the dinner party, and he's about to apply the parable to them. So he says, for I tell y'all, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. So the point that he's making, again, remember why he gets up to share this. He gets up to share this because that one dude got up to be like all religious and be like, preaching and stuff, and was like, hey man, man, great it is for anybody who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, let me tell you a story, bro, sit down. <laughs> and at the end of the story, here's the application. Essentially, he says, none of, none of these men who were originally invited to the banquet will enjoy the feast because they rejected the invitation. Now, this is a parable. I don't know if you know what a parable is, but a parable is something you see a lot uh, in jesus's words he, he tells stories all the parables were stories that god would use that jesus would use to help communicate bigger deeper truths and in parables the the people and the things or the objects almost always represent something or someone bigger that helps us understand that bigger deeper truth so who's who and what's what in this parable you go back to the man who stole the party the great banquet that's god that represents God and the great banquet that he's inviting people to that is the kingdom of God so essentially this parable is about God inviting people into his eternal kingdom so it says he sent out an invitation initially those invitation the, the initial invitation in this parable is actually the old testament promises that God sent years and years and years before he sent Jesus who is the servant uh, these, these Old Testament promises, those were the original save the day invitations that were telling of God's plans to come and build his kingdom and, and invite people into it. And then he sends his servant. His servant is Jesus Christ, who then comes to go and get the people or go and tell the people, hey, the, the, the party, the dinner, the banquet, uh, it's ready. So then you get to the three excuses. Verses 18 to 20, the three excuses uh, they essentially represent the excuses that the Jews, specifically the really religious Jews, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the dudes who look like they had it all together. These were the excuses that they're, this was representing the fact that they were rejecting Christ's invitation to come to this party, to come to this banquet. One guy, when talking about this text, he said, most of the respectable Jews, the Pharisees and scribes, rejected Jesus, although they had had the best opportunity... Through their knowledge of the Old Testament, that first invitation, to see, G- to see Jesus, or to see him the fulfiller of the promises of God. So that's what this parable represents. Now, you're probably thinking, "Well, where the heck, Austin, is the application in all of this? This parable is, is I mean, it can't just be, like, why would you share it if it was just about Jews rejecting Jesus, many of the Jews rejecting Jesus? That's uh, this parable reflects a whole lot more than just that. Do you remember the first person I introduced to you tonight? The, the one who grew up in the church. Like some of you are like, yeah, that's me. The one who grew up in the church, the one who your whole life, most of your life you've identified yourself as a Christian. Like you feel comfortable here. You know the right answers. You know a lot of the right people. Like if, if that's you, you need to see yourself in this story. Again, one commentator who wrote this, the supreme value of this parable is the question where am I? Am I in the kingdom? If not, then what's the excuse? And he goes on to say, It's amazing how much can be shut out with, the apparent, with an apparently small thing. He says, It's amazing how much can be shut out with an apparently small thing. How are the excuses that the people make here in Luke 14, 18-20 any different than the excuses that so many of us make in responding to God's invitation on our life. And this is interesting. Do you realize that statistics say that somewhere between 70% of students who grew up in the church when they get to college stop going to church? 70%. And and let me tell you why that is. I think the reason that is is because for, for many of you, if not most of you, these next few weeks, talking to the freshmen now, are the first few weeks that your faith is actually going to be tested. It's the first time that nobody's going to be breathing down your neck saying, go to church. It's the first time mom and dad isn't making you go. For many of you, those who are person number one, it's the first time nobody's looking over your shoulder holding you accountable. And on top of that, I mean, you know, like first flight week, some of y'all, it's fun talking to y'all. You're like, oh my gosh, it's been exhausting, all the stuff going on. In TW Pioneer, what Pioneer Week, whatever it's called there, like you're you're you already have a ton of opportunities, all of which the world says are super important and that you need to take. You have all these opportunities being thrown in front of you. Remember again what that guy said. He said it's amazing how much can be shut out with an apparently small thing. These three people in the parable, they missed out on the great banquet because they felt like these other things, going and looking at his field going and investigating his oxen was more important than going to the banquet. College students, you need to to hear this. There's so many things that are begging for your attention. There's so many things that the world says are important. And you're going to have so many opportunities thrown your way. Fraternities, sororities. um, See this every year. And I can say this. I was in a fraternity. And I dealt with this like personally in my life. But now, as a college pastor for 10 years, I see this all the time Fraternities, sororities. In fact, many people aren't here tonight because Russia's going on right now. I see this every year <clears throat> in our ministry. We have people who, who get involved, but then they decide to pledge, and we never see them again. But it's not just Greek life, it's a lot of stuff, intramurals, or I mean, shoot, just getting into a relationship with somebody, or, or the lure towards money, or the lure towards there's so many things that are fighting for your attention. You need to hear this. Tragedy happens when the world gets in the way of Jesus. So we're calling this series Eclipse. You're probably like, what the heck is that up there for? We're calling the series Eclipse. What happens when the world gets in the way? You ever seen a, an eclipse before? There, there's two kinds. There's a solar eclipse. There's a lunar eclipse. Let me tell you what happens in a lunar eclipse. A lunar eclipse, essentially, this is like the layman's terms here. What happens is as the sun and moon are rotating around the earth and stuff. I don't, that's not what it looks like, but... The earth is somewhere in the middle. They're rotating and stuff. And a, a, a lunar eclipse happens when the earth lines up perfectly in the middle between the sun and the moon. And if you were standing on the moon, you would no longer be able to see the sun. That's when the earth actually blocks out the moon. Listen, this describes so many of you in your relationship with Jesus. The world has gotten in the way. And as a result, you can no longer see Jesus. Again, think about how small the world is in comparison to how huge the sun is. It's amazing how much can be shut out with an apparently small thing. So here's what this parable reveals. It reveals that so many of you, though you identify as a Christian, though you grew up in the church and know the right answers and know the right people, so many of you will actually miss out on the great banquet, the kingdom of God. Because the world has gotten in the way of you and the Son, Jesus Christ. Many of you, though you've been invited and called by God, will reject the invitation with what you feel like are seemingly good excuses. And if nothing else, many of you will simply miss out on all that God has planned for you in college and in this life. Because you're going to place more of a priority on worldly opportunities constantly being thrown in front of you. You're settling for things that can't satisfy you like following Jesus can for, for, for two seconds, I want to speak specifically to the freshmen. The next few weeks, especially, the world is fighting for your attention. Uh, there's all kinds of studies out there that, that say that the first two to six weeks um, in, a, in a freshman's college career, in a person's college career, are the most critical for them. So your first two to six weeks are the most critical for you. What happens in the first two to six weeks oftentimes sets the course for the rest of your college career and, in many cases, your life. Now, I want to go back to what I said earlier. Tragedy happens when the world gets in the way. The decisions that you make this month will have an especially huge impact on your relationship with Jesus. And so of all the opportunities that you have being thrown in front of you, here's what I want to challenge, specifically class of 2020. I want to challenge you to place a priority on these things. Number one is get connected in the church. Um, Obviously, I work here at First Baptist Church. I lead Overflow. I love this place. Um, and, and we want you to get plugged in here. But listen, there are, there are some great churches in Denton. I don't care which one you get plugged into. Just plug into one that loves Jesus. Seriously, we will help you do that. First challenge, get connected to a church. Second, commit to a small group. Again, there's opportunities to do that here. Starting next week, we'll introduce to you 24 communities that we're going to have. Student, student-led communities meet different apartments and dorms, on and around campus, different nights of the week. There's plenty of opportunities here. There's opportunities in other places, not here, to commit to a small group that loves Jesus. And the third thing I, I want to challenge you to do is ask an older, wiser believer to disciple you. And I want to throw that word disciple out. You may be thinking, what the heck does that mean? We'll get to that later on um, in the coming weeks. Now, this parable is primarily about the first person I introduced tonight. But uh, person number two and three, you're in this parable too. So as we close, I want to make sure you see where you are. Go back to verse 21. Verse 21 says, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. To those of you in the room who you fall into category number two, your person number two. You're here tonight and like on the inside, you're you are you're hurting, you're broken, you're ashamed of what has happened in your life, or what you have going on in your life. You're terrified of what people think if they found out that you were dealing with this stuff, had this sin going on. If that's you, you have to see this. Again, look at what the master commands the servant to do. He says, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. And bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. you got to hear this. Jesus is not only calling you to the table, Jesus is bringing you to the table. This is huge. You don't earn the right to sit at the table. Jesus earned that right for you by what he did on the cross. And some of you, you're like, man, that's great that I'm invited to the banquet, but I can't even get myself to the banquet. Do you see how crippled I am in my sin? Well, that's okay. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He didn't say, come to me. He said, I'm coming to you. So if you're person number two, listen, I'm, I'm so glad you're here tonight. Stop believing the lies that your sin has disqualified you for the banquet. The gospel tells us that Jesus' death trumps your sin, and it's his death that qualifies you for the banquet. Now, if you're person number three, sitting in the back or on the edge, you want to get out of here quick. Uh, you flat out don't feel worthy to be here. Uh, you don't feel like you can hide it like person number two is trying to hide it. Uh, when you got invited, you're thinking, man, am I even allowed to be in a place like that? Look at what happens in verse 22 and 23. It says, and the, and the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. Pause there. Still there is room. That's the message of the gospel. There's still room, people. Still there is room. Verse 23, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house May be filled. Here's what you need to hear if you're person number three Jesus wants you at the banquet. Some of you, you're just like the wanderer to be found out along the highways and hedges. You don't feel like you belong at the table, but Jesus has saved you a seat. You're sitting there thinking, Well, I don't meet the qualifications, like for real. I don't meet the qualifications, if you only knew. If you're thinking that, then hear me out. Congratulations, you're starting to understand the gospel. None of us meet the qualifications. I sure as heck don't meet the qualifications. We're not trying to hide anything in here. We're not trying to fool anybody. This room is full of the blind, the lame, the crippled, the broken, the unclean, the unworthy, and the wanderers. This room is full of those people. Welcome home. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to, th- to bring to nothing things that are. Those of you who think that people don't even know you exist, God is running after you saying, hey, I got you. I've chosen you. So that, verse 29, no human being can boast in the presence of God. Read on, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the, the new has come. So look at verse 23 again. It says, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges. And what's the word he uses this time? Not invite, not bring, but what? Compel. compel. Listen to me. My hope tonight is that I can compel you to see and compel you to believe that Jesus loves you. And that Jesus wants you. And that God loves you. And that God wants you. Remember. That in the parable, the servant is Jesus. And God told Jesus, go compel them to come to this feast. In other words, he says, go go show them how badly I want them here. And let me tell you this, the most compelling event in history was when Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins and died for my sins. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Some of y'all may hear that and think, really? Show me, prove it. So he says, all right. So for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son to die, so that whoever believes in him or whoever accepts his invitation to the banquet will not perish, but will have everlasting life. He'll have a seat at the table. So, I know we just covered a lot. Let me tell you where we're going to land this thing. We're going to get more into Eclipse next week, but tonight this is all you need to hear. There's still room at the table, there's still room at the table. It all goes back to what I said at the beginning. If you would truly listen and hear and receive and then respond to what I'm showing you in God's word tonight. The drastic change that has happened in my life in the past four months after getting married will be pale in comparison to the drastic change that will be set in motion by God himself in your life tonight. So I want to pray. Um, As I pray, the guys are going to come back up here and going to lead us. And worship, I want you to know we, we worship at the end for a few minutes because it's our response to what has been revealed to us in scripture. Um, but as I pray, go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads. Um, I want to ask a few questions of, of you in this room, but I want everybody's eyes closed. I'll, I'll tell you this, if, th- if this is your first time with us, we rarely, rarely, rarely ever do this. But I'm doing this tonight because um, it just these are obvious questions that need to be asked based off this text. The first question, again, your eyes closed, your heads bowed. How many, of you, how many of you in here would say that you are person number one? A lot of hands already going up, but let me, let me just explain to make sure. You're the one, grew up in the church, identifies a Christian, possibly at risk at missing the invitation that God has set for you. Now, now go and put your hands up for, for me if that's you, person number one. Lots of hands. Thank you. So let me just say this to you, and you can put your hands down, but if you're person number one, if you just raised your hand or you didn't, but you are person number one, I want to ask you these questions. Where are you? Are you in the kingdom? Or not? And if you're not, then I want to ask you this. What's gotten in the way of you and Jesus? Eclipse. What happens when the world gets in the way? We miss out on the banquet. That's what happens. So for you, what has gotten in between you and the Son, Jesus Christ? So my next question is, how many of you in here would say you're person number two? You you are broken. You're hurting. You're ashamed. You don't want people to know what's going on in your life. You're afraid that people wouldn't want you here. Thanks for putting up your hand. I want to speak to you for a second. You can put your hand down. If that's you, you need to hear this. None of us earn the right to sit at the table. Jesus earned that right for us at the cross. And so my question for you, if you just put your hand up, if you're person number two, will you let him complete that work in your life tonight? How many of you would say you're person number three? You're the wanderer. Sitting on the edge, wanting to sneak out of here. I appreciate y'all putting your hands up. I know this one's a little scarier. Um... I want to speak to you for a second. You can put your hands down. First thing is, I just want to ask you, don't make a beeline out of here tonight. I'm going to ask you to stay, hang around. This place is for you. And I just want to remind you, there's room at the table. Last question I want to ask is, how many of you are class of 2020? Would you put your hand up in the air? That's awesome. Lots of you. I love it. Keep your hand up for a second. Okay, you can put it down. I just want to speak to you for a second to say this. The next few weeks for you are crucial. In so many ways, they determine what happens in your life from here forward. And so here's my challenge to you. I, again, I want to challenge you to connect to a church, commit to a small group, and ask somebody older and wiser in their faith to disciple you. There's still room at the table, people. Let me pray for us, and then we'll worship. Thank you for listening to the Overflow podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.